please join me for today's scripture reading found in 2 Peter verse 3:18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Misplaced priorities can get us into big trouble. Um, many of us uh, have bucket lists. Do you have a bucket list? Anybody have bucket lists? You know, kind of things you would like to accomplish before you kick the bucket? Um, I have uh, certain, usually there are goals that uh, you kind of enjoy, kind of want to enjoy. Um, on my bucket list, it was just, um, I had play Pinehurst number two. That's done. I did that once. I don't want to do it again. I wanted to live on a lake when I was 16 because my girlfriend had a place on the lake. I was able to do that. That's done. I wanted to marry well. I did that. Um, I wanted to um, pay for my kids to go through college. I did that. Um, some of the to-dos that have the, in on the bucket list that haven't happened yet, I wanted to go see the Masters one time. I don't know if that's going to happen. I had a goal never to own a pool. And my, if my wife gets her way, that's not going to happen. I want to teach my grand, one of my grandchildren at least to hunt, um, so that's not yet. I'd like to visit the Holy Land, but this has not happened yet, and I'm not going anytime real soon. Um, but my main thing on my bucket list is I want to end well. I want to end my life well. Um, I think Peter, from our passage today in Second Peter, is um, that was his goal. He wanted to end well. Um, he started, you remember, he, he was the one who, who we sang about, you are the one. You know, we, no one else has the words of life that you do. He was the one who rebuked Jesus on numerous occasions, and he was always wrong. It's not good to rebuke the Savior. Um, but our bucket list um, should never include how much we have. Um, my grand, my um, Lynn's mom died not long ago at 101 and it took us four days to throw all her junk away <laughs> all the kids went through they hardly wanted anything and they were very very important to her everything but they ended up in black garbage bags and thrown into the dumpster my arm was sore for two weeks and you imagine how sometimes we think our junk is so important and think about it will your kids and your grandkids want that Maybe some, but not much. So I've adopted what Peter wanted at the end of his life, and, um, and the passage today that's projected is some of his last recorded words. Um, last words are important. Um, let me give you a quick quiz. Do you remember William Wallace, the 13th century Scottish? What was his last word? Freedom. Freedom, Freedom. absolutely. Um, I'm fond of Stonewall Jackson, and he... Um, sadly was mistakenly shot by his own, own men. And uh, as he was dying, he said this, let us pass over the river and rest in, under the shade of the trees. And basically he was a strong believer, and that was his picture of shalom, that he was going to go to peace. Um, the words that are Peter's last words are, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him, be glory both now and forevermore. Um, in the Amplified Bible, which is kind of like a, a scripture, I mean, a, a Bible that has extra words in it to kind of explain what it says, it says this way, but grow spiritually mature 
in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, honor, majesty, splendor, both now and to the day of eternity. Peter's life was um, ended when he was executed by, um, in, by Nero in 68 AD, crucified upside down if the traditions are to be trusted. Um, it must have happened shortly after he wrote these words. In fact, his passion of having believers grow spiritually is all through his writings. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Crave spiritual milk so that you might grow in the fullness of your salvation. He was passionate about people growing. Peter knew that he didn't do it perfectly. Um, you remember he denied Christ three times. He, he wanted to go fishing instead of doing whatever a disciple was supposed to do. But God was patient with him, and God showed him grace. And um, Peter, we can say of him, he kept growing. He continued. He did, he did end well. Maturity is not something that is uh, obtained by learning a formula. And what I want to talk a little, a little bit about today is your spiritual maturity. How is it going? How are you doing? Are you growing spiritually? How is that happening? Um, Peter had a unique personality, and I think it, it affected the way he grew. Um, he grew in grace. Becoming more like Jesus is a concern that many writers of Scripture have. May, in 1 Peter 3, it says, May the Lord, may the Lord make you grow and overflow. Philippians 1.9, I pray that your love may abound more and more. 1 Timothy 4, Train yourself to be godly. Hebrews 6, 1. Let us become mature. Christian maturity is presented as a fact. In other portions of Scripture, it's presented as a goal to keep moving toward. This sermon today is mainly designed, I've preached a number of sermons, if you are uh, for believers and unbelievers, that this one mostly is designed for those who've trusted in Christ, who know that they are not what they once were, that God has come in and brought change and that he's continuing to do that. So this, that's what this sermon is for. And in 2 Peter, this passage is a command to you, believers. It says, but grow. That's not a suggestion. It's a command. We are commanded to grow spiritually in the grace and order. It, to, it, we're supposed to keep going. A.W. Pink said this about spiritual maturity. It brings no glory to God that his children should be dwarfs spiritually. Christian maturity is important, that we got to go in that direction. Um, if you have a little baby, you want that baby to grow. Now, as they grow, 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 grow fast, my mom used to say, in fact, she would not buy jeans in the summer when I was a little kid because by the time I went to school, they would be too short, right? <laughs> and the shoes were too small, so she'd wait until the back-to-school sale and then buy my clothes because it was natural that we grow. It's natural that believers grow spiritually too. A picture does not grow. If you put a stake in the ground to hold up a tomato plant, the stake doesn't grow. The tomato plant grows. It's when we are meant to grow. That goes against some of what you say to yourself. When I tell you it's natural to grow spiritually, some of you honestly might say, I don't think I'm growing spiritually. I feel like I'm on a plateau. In fact, I might be sliding back. That might be your honest assessment of yourself, so you need to pay special attention today 
because you need to hear what the scripture has to say about spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. If you are not growing, there's three possible things that could be going on. One, hypocrisy. You could have a false profession or apostasy. Let me explain those really quick. Um, Hypocrisy is when you act like a growing Christian, but you're not. You're just a hypocrite. False profession is when you might have in your past walked down an aisle or been at a youth retreat or gone through confirmation or made an emotional response, and then everybody around you that are Christian and well-meaning have told you you're a child of God now. But you don't have godly want-tos. You don't, you don't, you're not really moving forward spiritually. You don't desire really to pray. You don't desire to read the Bible. And not just because you're an introvert, but sometimes you don't desire being around other Christians. You don't have those want-tos. It could be a false profession. God hasn't put in you the want-tos that change you. Um, Those want-tos reflect godly desires. And then the third one is apostasy, which is... uh, by definition, the total rejection of Christianity by a baptized person who having at one time professed the Christian faith. It's distinguished from heresy. A heresy is a believer who simply says, I don't believe a certain part of God's word. That's heresy. That doesn't mean they're not saved. That just means they're wrong. Um, But we want, when we want to measure spiritual growth and you get a tape measure, it's really difficult to do that. But there's two things we are supposed to grow in, according to Peter. And that is we're supposed to grow in the grace and the knowledge. Grace. It's mentioned all through. Every time, um, basically, a book of the Bible is written, you know, by the grace of God. And, And it ends in the grace of God. And in the middle is the grace of God. We know the famous verse, Ephesians 2 Um, to this is by grace you have been saved through faith by grace you have been saved through faith by grace you've been saved through faith and that is not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast that grace is what is brought is um, new life regeneration that's when we come from death to life that is that kind of grace it's the saving grace you might call it the grace of justification or the grace of salvation but there's another kind of grace which I call a continuing grace or a grace of sanctification, where you grow gradually, day by day, and in situation by situation, that's the grace that helps you, that God is working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Peter's thinking now about that um, continuing, persevering kind of grace, the grace that lifted him up every time he fell, and that can lift us up. In the context of 2 Peter 3, he's talking about the second coming. And he says this, that his return isn't slow as some people reckon it to be so, that like a thousand years is like a day, but that all the great redemptive events have happened and the next thing is coming is the second coming, that Jesus is coming again. He says, in light of Jesus, we don't know, there's nothing waiting except God's desire when he comes again. We don't know it could be tomorrow, but we need to live today as if it will be tomorrow. We need to move in that direction. Let me read that passage to you from 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. Now, Peter's being emphatic here, right? 
A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpected as a thief. And the reason why God delays is grace. He's giving more time for people to repent. More time for people to, to come to faith. Peter's thinking about the grace in the last days. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Verse 11. Since you've experienced this grace and grace is going to bring you home, you should then live according to this grace. But God's grace isn't, hasn't just saved you to be saved and then not saved you to grow. There's not, that's not possible. It's not possible that God can make you a believer and you say, yes, I'm a Christian, and then not also work in you to help you grow. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't give one kind of grace and then withhold another kind of grace. He doesn't give you grace of salvation and then withhold the grace that helps you grow. Um, the wonderful hymn by John Newton, Amazing Grace. You know that hymn? Here it is. Notice what he says here. He says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. That's justifying grace. That is saving grace. That's the grace that brings us from death to life. Right? Got it? Next, t'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. That's sanctifying grace. He goes on to say, how precious did that grace appear when I first did believe justifying grace? Through many toils, trials, and snares I have already come. T'was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will bring me home. That's the sanctifying grace. The grace that as we're going through the trials, he continues. So John Newton, you might remember, the, the hymn writer, at one point was a slave trader. And he's saying, God has changed me, and he's continuing to change me. Peter had a strong belief that God can never be checkmated, that God is in control, that nothing is outside of God's control, including our growth. And he said he had a firm belief in, in what we call the doctrine of election. He writes about these people that he's writing to. You are God's chosen people. God has chosen you for a particular purpose. And if you are a believer here today, God has chosen you for a unique purpose with your personality in your station of life in your sphere of influence. He has chosen you. And he actually, it says in Ephesians 2.10, he has good works for you today that he's predestined that he wants you to be involved in. And tomorrow and the next day. He has done this for our lives. He is actively involved in our day-to-day -day lives, not just our calendar. Our calendar doesn't dictate. God dictates. He puts situations in front of us all the time, and then we have to respond to it. If you're a believer, this drive to grow is in you. There's a deep desire. Do you sense that? Do you sense a desire to grow spiritually? If you don't, it's probably a good indication that you're not a believer or that you're going through some great rebellion right now and you're, you're, you're so spiritually um, desensitized 
which is another way of calling you need to repent. But God, do you feel the desire of God to grow? Deep inside. Do you have the desires to do things for God, because of God, and enjoy him? But you also need not only to grow in grace, but as it says in knowledge. Um, we are, are we to grow in that we know more about him, or are we to grow so that we know him? Both. <laughs> we need to know more about him, but we also need to know him in fellowship with him. Both are equally important. Now, I'm a pastor in the PCA. Guess what? I've met a lot of people in the PCA that know a lot about God. I pastored the church like that. I came in, they had a pastor that all he did was teach doctrine. And the people got very proud because they felt like they were the only church in the town. No kidding. They believed they were the only true church in town because they knew the doctrines of grace more than anybody else. They understood the imputed righteousness of Christ. They, unimputed, they, they understood all those 50-cent words. In the first week I was there, no kidding, the first week I was there, I met a lady who was a charter member, and I'm talking to her. And another lady comes up, you know, you know how you kind of, you're talking to somebody, somebody comes up and it's kind of, you turn to make it a, a triangle, you know, and they go, oh, and I'd already met this other lady, and, I, and I, so I introduced them. I didn't know that, well, she was a charter member too. <laughs> the church was only 10 years old. They never met. They never met. They came to a church, less than 75 people, and they had never met. But they knew a lot about the scripture. They'd not been in one another's homes. They had not shared fellowship. The church, the, the kind of, the definition, the, this is ancient history, but the pastor, he knew his stuff. He was basically a, a professor. He, he loved, you know, preaching and teaching. So he loved it so much, he preached every, every service, but he also did every Sunday school class, the adult Sunday school class. And guess what? He also did the women's Bible study. He did all the teaching because he loved to teach. But there was no fellowship in the church at all. And, he, you know, so it's hard to wonder how new people would come because new people would come, nobody would greet them. No, I, I, I'm, I'm wrong there. They would greet them the first time. Glad you're here. But they didn't greet them the second time. <laughs> I, so... I met with a number of the people and I brought this out and they went, we're confused. What are you talking about? And I said, you consider yourself to be a reformed church. That was kind of the phrase they like to use. Have you heard that phrase before? A reformed church? And um, they said, yes, we are. You know, you can almost see the chest going out. Yes, we are. And I said, guess what? You're not. And they went, what do you mean? This is the definition, according to Calvin and everybody else, of a Reformed church is someone who's passionate about the Word of God and passionate about people. And you've missed that. There's no evangelism going on here. There's no inviting. 
There's no encouraging. There's no fellowship. This is not a Reformed church. You cannot grow in love with someone unless you get to know them. And we're called to love one another. What Peter is urging here is that we get to know Christ more. And what did he care about? We should contemplate his person and his work. How did he do what he did? We should think of him in the three estates of preexistent, of incarnate, and then glorified at the right hand of the Father. We should think of him in our knowledge what uh, Calvin called the munis triplis, the threefold nature of Christ. We should see Christ as the prophet to teach us, the priest to forgive us, and the king to rule over us in everyday experience. Every day, Christ can teach us. Every day, we have felt the need to be forgiven by him. And every day, we ought to recognize he rules over us, and it's not our opinion. First, it's his. At the very heart of the Christian life is to think of Jesus this way, a prophet to teach us, a priest to forgive us, and a king to rule over us. Did you notice that that Peter put grace first? But that didn't mean before knowledge, but that didn't mean he didn't want us... Basically, he's also saying these got to be combined. Our knowledge has to be combined with grace. As a young man, there was a fellow named Jonathan Edwards. Not the one I know that works at JGR, but um, that set down a series of thoughts. He, he seriously considered how he was going to grow spiritually. He gave it a lot of thought. And he decided to write down what he called principles that he wanted to live by to help him. And he began this way. Being sensible that I am unaware, unable to do anything without Christ's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. And I'm, he's got like a whole bunch of them. I picked out just a few, okay? I know you got to vote later, right? Here are a few of his resolutions. Resolved, I will do whatever I think will be best to glorify God and not my own good profit and pleasure as long as I live. I will do all these things without any consideration of time they take. Resolved, to do whatever I understand to be my duty and will provide the most good and benefit to mankind in general. Resolved to do this. Whatever difficulties I encounter and no matter how many I experience, or how severe they may be, resolved. This was his number three. If ever, really, whenever I fail and fall or grow weary and dull, whenever I begin to neglect the keeping of any part of these resolutions, I will repent of everything I can remember that I have violated or neglected as soon as I come to my senses again. Resolved, number seven. Never do anything that I would be afraid to do if it were my last hour of life. Resolved, never to do anything out of revenge. Resolved, whenever I do any evil action, I will trace it back till I come to the original cause, and then I will carefully endeavor both to do no more, and secondly, to fight and pray with all my might against the source of the original impulse. Resolved to oust anything I find that diminishes my assurance of God's love and grace. Resolve number 29, never consider something a prayer, nor, at, nor to let pass for a prayer any petition that when making, I cannot actually hope that God will answer. Nor offer as a confession anything which I cannot 
hope God will accept. Two more. Never from this day until the day I die act as if I were in any way my own, but entirely and altogether belong to God, and then live in a way agreeable to this reality. And then the last one I chose, resolved, never to give up, nor even slack up in my fight with my own corruptions, no matter how successful or unsuccessful I may be. He's talking about transforming grace. Trusting God for to do that. In conclusion, I have four quick points and then a church challenge. A Northgate, I mean Northgate, that was the church before I mentioned. <laughs> North Cross, <laughs> church challenge. Three, four points. Spiritual growth is best measured under pressure. When you're going through your hardest time, that's the best time you can say, how am I doing? How am I responding to this adversity? Um, in verse 17 of our passage, it says, as others are going backwards, I want you to go forwards. How are you responding? Secondly, growth in spiritual maturity isn't necessarily uniformed. It's not like you grow this much every year. In fact, in the life of, um, of Peter, um, we remember he denied Christ. And then less than 72, late years, 72 days later, he's the fire-breathing preacher at the day of Pentecost. What happened? He grew spiritually. Paul would go into a region and he'd gather people and he'd teach them for a short while. And when he left, he had elders there to care for the people because they could grow spiritually. You can grow quickly. Um, spiritual maturity isn't automatic. By that means, it's, there was a, a Keswick theology that was going around years ago. I hope you've all forgotten it or never knew it and you don't need to know it. But here was the motto of it. It was this, let go and let God. Let go, give up, and let God do what he's going to do. I don't believe that's true. I don't think that's true in the Bible. Because when I look at the New Testament, do you see all the commands of Scripture like this one, grow in the grace? That requires our effort. It requires us to be involved. Um, we are called to be holy and sanctified, but we're also supposed to live it out. This sanctification, this growth doesn't come by osmosis. We are to fight in it. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Which means we have to work out what God has worked in. What God has put in us, we're to work it out. We ought, ought to flex our spiritual muscles and trust in him by faith and move forward. Um, Peter says in, in 3.14, be diligent. He says in 3.17, be on your guard. Um, you may be tempted to think, and I'm talking to the gray hairs here today. You might be tempted to think that since you've been older in the faith, that you can coast. That never is mentioned in Scripture. There are, no matter what age, we ought to continue to grow. And let me tell you a quick story. There was a um, teacher that had been teaching for 20 years in a school, and the, and the vice principal place opportunity came up, and so she put her name in. And the principal announced that so-and-so got it, and the person who got it was four years in teaching. And the teacher that had been teaching 20 years got all upset and went to the principal and said, how did you give it to this, this young person? I've got 20 years experience. And he said, no, you don't have 20 years experience. You have one year experience 20 times. You've not grown. 
This, this lady with four years experience has grown and developed every year and got better and better and better. And I expect she'll do that as a vice principal as well. And so if you've just been doing the same thing over and over again, you have sensed no growth. Maybe you're just having one experience over and over. You need to, to trust God with that. A faith not tested but can't be trusted. When there's a volunteer opportunity that stretches you here at the church, why don't you say yes? You say, oh, well, I can't do that myself. Well, that, well that's good. <laughs> Golly, in the church, we might have to trust on Jesus <laughs> to help us do something. Let's do that. Um, and first, and then lastly, spiritual maturity isn't entirely a personal issue. All the commands in the New Testament, guess what, were written to churches. So I want to talk to you as a church. Um, there's a reason why the Bible says don't forsake worship together. There's a reason why your elders have Sunday school and small groups, because they want you to, to be involved with one another. They want that iron to be sharpening iron. They, they, um, they encourage you. It's delightful, by the way, for elders and deacons to hear about people going out to lunch with one another. That's great. That's what the church ought to be doing. We are especially love it when you're going out with people that need to come to know Christ. We love that. It's, it encourages them. So I have a Northgate Church challenge for you. And then this, I'm take this seriously, Northgate, North Cross. I know who you are. I know you are. North Cross. You know, I'm old. I mean, you know. I'm excited about this. I want you to take it seriously. In your Bible studies this week, in your small groups this week, in your interactions this week, even after worship this, today, and when you see one another next Sunday, I want, you, I want you each one to ask the other a question. If you have a play date with somebody this week, ask them this question. You know, moms, you know, if, if you're going golfing later, you know, this week, guys, or whatever you do, and they're here today, ask them this question. If they're not here today, I want everybody to ask Hudson this. Here's the question. Are you growing spiritually? How is that working? Boy, guess what kind of conversations you could have with that. Are you growing spiritually? How is that going? How is that happening? Are you growing spiritually? How is that happening? Um, no one who's truly a believer is going to be too upset about you asking that question. They might know, not know the exact answer. They ought to, but they might, they'll probably be saying in their mind, I think I need to know the answer to that question. Are you growing spiritually? Is that happening? Start, start praying for spiritual growth. Who knows what could happen between now and when Pastor Purdy comes here? What kind of spiritual growth could happen in this church as a result of that? North Cross Church Challenge, are you growing spiritually? How is that happening? Let's pray together. Father, I don't know the answer to all those questions because I don't know all these people. But Father, I pray that we would know some answers from people we ask. Father, would you use this challenge based on our need to grow in grace and knowledge, provoke us to love and good deeds. Help us to work out what you worked in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.